Please remain standing for prayer. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, our great, awesome, and loving Heavenly Father, we gather this evening in silence, in somber reflection of the great cost, the great purchase of our redemption. We thank you and praise you, not that we loved you, but Lord, that you loved us and sent your Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We praise you that he was pierced for our transgressions and that he was crushed for our iniquities and that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We confess this evening that we do not draw towards you in our own flesh, in good deeds, with pride, beating our chests, thinking that we are something, but we confess that all we like sheep have gone astray and that each of us has turned to his own way and that the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. Please accept our worship this evening and that you would be glorified, that we would be comforted in the commemoration of the death of your Son. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Please turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. In the Pew Bible, that is on page 705. We will be reading from verses 32 to 44. Matthew 27, verses 32 through 44. Hear the word of the Lord. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. 
One of the most unique things about Christianity is that man does not go up to God on the basis of his good deeds. But rather, in Christianity, God has come down, he's condescended, not only in taking on flesh in the incarnation, but he has humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The cross is the great symbol of suffering and humiliation of the Son of God, the great symbol of the purchase of our redemption. You can't speak about the cross and Christ without talking about the benefit and the reason that he had to go there. The benefit to you. Tonight, I would like us to consider three things, three great things or ways that the cross benefits you. First, the cross tells you that you are so sinful and fallen and dead in your trespasses and sins that only the death of the Son of God could forgive you of your sins. It's a sobering reality, and the reason that's good and that's beneficial to you is it's like a diagnosis that a doctor gives you. You can't get better from, say, cancer or something afflicting you, a disease, without a proper diagnosis. The benefit to you is that you have before you what's really wrong with you. It's not that you're so good and that God looked down and saw that you were so wonderful and said he wanted to be a part of your team or your club, but rather it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It was necessary. There was no other way for you to be reconciled to God. So the first great benefit of the cross is that it tells you a very realistic and sobering diagnosis of your sin. Do you know that? Do you know that you're a sinner? Second, the cross gives you an assurance of God's love. Now, I would like us to consider here in this passage that no one saw the cross of Christ as an assurance of God's love. Everyone looked upon it, at least in our passage, as absolutely, utterly meaningless and of no value. And consider the, some of the things that they're saying, every, every single one of them, the Romans, the people who pass by, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they're mocking Jesus. They're saying, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. This is Jesus who claimed to be the Son of God. This is Jesus who said, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. We'll save yourself. How, look at you now. Clearly, no one who was present in our passage, viewed the cross as anything but a complete and utter failure and meaninglessness. There was no value. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The heart of the Christian faith is the cross. And on the cross, we see the cost of our redemption. 
And it's an assurance or testimony or evidence that God loves us. Crucifixion was a form of punishment that had been passed down from the Persians and other ancient cultures. It was not to be graphic, but it was a gradual death, a slow torture. Many times people would hang on the cross for days before they would die. Typically they suffocated because their legs could no longer support the weight of their bodies. Sometimes they were even eaten by wild animals. In our passage, there's a few unusual things, or at least one unusual thing, and that is typically a criminal would have to carry his own cross. Uh, In this case, Jesus perhaps weakened as he was from the beating that he had received, needed someone else to carry the cross. So Simon, Simon carries the cross, but to everybody who carried a cross, it was a stigma or a a sign of disgrace. People didn't even want to talk about it because it was so disgraceful to the culture. Sometimes they would be offered gall. Gall was a narcotic for the pain. Jesus here refuses it. They would often, uh, the criminals would often carry a sign with them that broadcast to everybody what their crime was. And here, well, it doesn't say Jesus carried a sign, but there was a post on the cross that said, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. So don't let anyone ever tell you that Jesus was just a good teacher because everybody here knew his reputation. His reputation was not a good teacher. His reputation was that he had made claims to be the Son of God. That he had made blasphemous claims according to the chief priests and scribes and the elders. All of this, of course, they were blind to. All of this was an evidence of God's love. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. His mocking was in accordance with the Scripture. Psalm 22, verse 6 says, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Jesus' silence was in accordance with Scripture. Isaiah 53, verse 7, says that he was oppressed and afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. The wrath of God descending upon Jesus was in accordance with Scripture. Psalm 88, verses 15 through 18, says that your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken me friend from me, friend and neighbor, and darkness is my closest companion. Everyone was blind to what was actually happening on the cross. Even the word Golgotha, which 
is referred to here as the place of the skull. In Latin, it's Calvarium. It's actually where we get the term Calvary. But some of the church fathers thought that the reason it is referred to as the place of a skull is that that's where Adam's skull was. I don't think that there's any historical evidence of that. But one thing that is true is that the last Adam, Jesus Christ, came to reverse what the first Adam did. It is because of Adam's sin that we are guilty and corrupt and defiled. And the last Adam came to reverse that great curse upon mankind. It's an evidence of God's love. And the cross is the megaphone of God himself saying, this is how much I love you. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So first, the cross tells you that you are so guilty in, in sin that Jesus had to die for you. But secondly, the cross tells you that he was willing to do so because God is loving. Thirdly, the cross tells you that your suffering is not without purpose. Many of you may know the story of Elizabeth Howard. She worked as a missionary to the Colorado Indians in Ecuador. She had been there for quite some time when her only translator and helper was shot and killed. Not long after that, a flood swept through the area and devoured her, her living areas and her living quarters and all the work that they had completed. But she kept at it. Not long after that, all of her handwritten notes and preparations that she made in order to translate the Bible into the language of the Colorado Indians, all of that work was in a briefcase that got stolen. You might know Elizabeth Howard as Elizabeth Elliot, who would, of course, marry Jim Elliot, who would then go on to be martyred. Consider what she writes. To be a follower of the crucified means, sooner or later, a personal encounter with the cross. The cross always entails loss. The great symbol of Christianity means sacrifice, and no one who calls himself a Christian can evade this stark fact. Being a Christian means sacrifice, self-sacrifice. Actually, it's the heart of the Christian faith. It's the heart of love itself. It's not that we loved God, but that even though we were his enemies, even though we were sinful and defiled, nonetheless, he sent his son to take on flesh, to dwell among us, and to die a substitutionary death upon the cross. In our case, we don't suffer to atone for sin, but what we do suffer for is that you would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, that you would begin to shine the glory, the radiance of the sun himself would be in you, and you would shine into this dark world 
as a testimony of his redeeming power. The reason that Jesus could endure the mockery and the insults of the cross was that he was entrusting himself to one who judged justly. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says that when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate, and when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Perhaps you are suffering as a Christian. And I am here through the word of God to declare that your suffering is not without purpose. The way that you are able to endure the suffering in this life is by entrusting your soul into the one, to the one who judges justly. So do you know those three things, that you are sinful and that you need a substitute, and secondly, that the Son of God was willing to be your substitute because of his great love for you, and thirdly, that this means that all those who put their trust and faith in the Lord will not suffer without hope, but rather we would rejoice as we share in Christ's sufferings that we also would be glad when Jesus' glory is revealed. Tonight, as we consider the death of Jesus and we commemorate his sufferings, may you trust in the Lord. May you put your faith and hope in him and be comforted of his substitutionary death upon the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your great love for us and the sufferings and the death of the Lord Jesus. We praise you that Jesus endured the shame and the mocking and the insults because he was entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. We thank you that you are a just God. And that your justice is seen here on the cross when the payment for our sin is put upon Christ's shoulder. But we also praise you that you are a merciful and gracious God and that all who put their hope and trust in the Lord Jesus will be saved. May we put our hope in him, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.